0: serving jesus because i can come to the metaphorical altar i can come to him for anything and i've learned to come to him for everything and he's faithful Not, not like a genie faithful where you get whatever you think you want but he's like a good good father faithful in that you always get what you need come on talk back with me and so that is the God that we've come uh, to worship today. Uh, today, uh, we are doing the 11th uh, sermon in the First Samuel uh, series. And um, we've been focusing uh, uh, indirectly a lot on this one uh, verse. Uh, this is a pivotal time in the nation of Israel uh, from about a 300 period of leadership by the judges like Samuel transitioning to a dynasty, to a kingdom. And now we have the first king, Saul. And unfortunately, what we learn as we finish this series in 1 Samuel is that the first uh, king um, was, uh, didn't heed what Samuel uh, told the people in 1 Samuel 7, um, verses 2b through 4. And so if you have uh, been committing this to memory, and I'll confess that it's hard. (laughs) Memorizing scripture is hard, but it's worth it. Uh, uh, You can read along with me or or recite along with me, 2b-4. through Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are now returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then put, rid yourselves, thank you, of, the, of your foreign gods and asterisks and serve the Lord. No, and, and commit yourself to the Lord, thank you, somebody, and serve him only. Then he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So all the Israelites put away their Baals and asterisks and serve the Lord only. They put away their male foreign gods and female foreign gods, and serve the Lord only. And unfortunately, Saul didn't put away all of his gods. In fact, it could be his testimony is that when God, by his grace, appointed him king, he actually built some gods for himself as the king. So let us turn uh, to our scripture. Today, we're going to we're going to learn that whoever you turn to in your distress is your God. Whoever you turn to in your distress is your God. We'll see that from Saul's life, and we'll see that from David's life, and we'll see that from a greater than David's life. Whoever you turn to in your distress is your God. Uh, Turn to page 395. We will read verses uh, 1 through 13 in chapter 13. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned a long time. He reigned 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes this was a time when Israel was constantly fighting um, the Canaanites and their five different cities on the west coast of their land, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, they're constantly at war. And so they spread out so that they can have, they can fight at different uh, places within Israel. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the, tr- had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all the Israel heard the news. Saul had a, has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. And the situation is that we we're in central Israel, right on the Jordan River. And Saul and his army is in Gilgal and not too far away. In, in Mi'kmash, not too far away, the Philistines have assembled for war. The Philistines assembled to, to fight Israel, verse 5, with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand of the seashore. The, the, uh, oftentimes, most times when Israel went out to battle, they were undermanned and they were underarmed. Let me hear you say undermanned, undermanned, undermanned and underarmed, but they had God on their side. It didn't matter. When God was with them, it didn't matter that they were undermanned and underarmed, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up on a camp at Michmash, Beth, uh, east of Beth Eden, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard pressed. They hid in their caves and thickets among the rocks and the pits and the cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan, which was close. They crossed the Jordan, winning over to Gad and Gilead. Imagine you're the king. In fact, he had just actually recently had a great victory. He had had a great victory in Jabez Gilead. And God had saw, the people saw how a a new spirit had come over Saul. He went from being a cowardly king to a mighty man of God. Who is this Saul? Is Saul also among the prophets? They said, this guy has changed. And he took an undermanned and underarmed army and delivered the people, right, from the Ammonites. This is just recently within this series of days. Now the next attack comes and the army forgot all about that. They're like, all I know is the, the enemy is as many as the sands on the shore. <laughs> and we sitting here with sickles and whatnot. We can't fight. <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going over to Gilead. I'm going across the river. Amen. Come on, talk back with me. I'd have been there too. I'd have been on the other side. Come on. This is the situation that Saul finds himself in. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the trips with him were quaking in fear and distress. He waited seven days, the time that Samuel said to wait. But Samuel hadn't come down to Gilgal, and Saul's men were beginning to desert him. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Now, now, now uh, uh, um, Saul was the king. He was anointed king. He was the political leader, but he was not a priest. That was not his calling. That was not what God had given him to do. He was not a king, and he was not a prophet. And now he's starting to take things into his own hands. Uh, I'm the king. I might as well be a prophet. I might as well be a priest, he says to himself. Uh, where's Samuel. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. It's the seventh day, and he's here. What have you done? Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, I was distressed. And that you did not come and at the set time, I prayed to the Lord for guidance. No, I didn't say that. Uh, I did not come at the same time. The Philistines were assembling at minister. I thought now, I thought now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to, to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, he says. You have not kept the command of the Lord and you had gave, uh, the Lord gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now due to your disobedience your kingdom will not endure i.e he won't have a dynasty the lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command, where do you turn in your distress? Uh, Walter White is the anti-hero of a series called, some of the young people who watch this series are laughing, uh, the anti-hero of a series called Breaking Bad. One Sunday, I'm going to come with that hat on and preach. I'm going to be the Breaking Bad pastor for the day. Come on. That's a cool hat. Come on with the glasses. That's cool. And so Walter White is this fictional character. He's a chemistry uh, teacher, he went to California uh, Institute of Technology, a brilliant guy, started a business with his buddy, um, uh, sold his share of the business early on, and through his own research and work, the business actually blows up and and, and does extremely well. Unfortunately, he's out of the business. He turns 50, he moves to Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, to become a teacher. He's a good guy. He's a Saul at the beginning humble family man wants to do right anybody that wants to teach in the public schools they and something's good about them okay (laughs) something's good about them they want to do good this was the kind of man he was but he turns 50 and he, he he finds out he's got stage three cancer and he says to himself i haven't done nothing for my family no inheritance and i'm going i'm going to die this is the prognosis is not good I'm going to die. And he learns quite by accident how meth is made. He's a chemist, so he has all the capability to, to make meth, methamphetamine, and so he becomes a drug maker. He becomes a drug dealer. He becomes a drug kingpin. And the, the producer of the series said, we started out, I intentionally kind of made him like an Andy Taylor. You guys don't know Andy Taylor, do you? <laughs> yeah, you got Andy Taylor was this little nice police officer in, in, in uh, North Carolina at, at a time when they didn't carry guns. You know, his thing was he didn't even <laughs> carry guns. He was this kind of guy. He was that kind of guy. He goes from being Andy Taylor to Scarface. So something. you know Scarface, my little friend, come on. So he turns... He turns bad, he breaks bad, and he gets worse and worse. And the way this character is written is that there's certain times when he can get out. He's made some money, he's done wrong, he's even changed his name now. They know him as Heisenberg. Don't mess with Heisenberg, he controls the meth game, But he could have got out. But we find in the distress When he found out he was going to die and was considering what he was going to leave for his children, he turns to just a little bit more power, just a little bit more money, and these become his gods. You see, what we turn to in our distress becomes our God. That's the main proposition for this morning's sermon. We see this in Saul. We see that in his first character. Saul turns from the Lord when he is in distress. That's his MO. Put a little pressure on him, get him in tough spot, get him in tough spot, and he turns away from God. He becomes self-reliant. He relies on a, a, a political power and so forth. He turns away from God. First scene, the precursor to verse 13 in this episode. Is Saul, only seven days prior, while he has become uh, given the spirit and becomes a new man, Saul says to him, "Man, you're a new man in God. You that have the spirit on you. In God, you can accomplish all that God has set for you to do in terms of leading Israel. I will surely come down to you," Samuel says to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and plead with God and ask God for victory over the Philistines. In fact, over all the surrounding nations, right? But you must wait seven days and I will come to you and tell you what you are to do. Really clear instructions, right? The kind of thing we, we parents, like I told the older son, Jason, all right, this is Jared is with you, right? When he's 17 and Jared, clear instructions, right? It, it, really clear, right? And yet he does his own thing under stress. A friend of mine from high school, uh, Miriam Rivera, uh, I went to Champaign and she went to Stanford to study Uh, sociology and then get a master's in Spanish and a little bit later she gets a joint uh, JD MBA and she her claim to fame is in the late 90s she joined Google she was employee number 160 employee number 160 now between the late 90s and 2008 Google goes from 160 employees to 15,000 they go from a small kind of tech company with promise to the, the dominant company in its field, in a Fortune 500 carrier, and she's on for the long ride, for the ride, right? And uh, man, uh, given that I'm an MBA, man, I'd love to be in that situation. Stock options out of the yin-yang, okay, come on now, talk back with me. In 2008, they come to her and say, she's the vice president and deputy general counsel. They say, listen, the CLO job, the chief legal officer job is open, and we want you to take it. And here's where the distress comes in. Now over these nine or 10 years, she's married, she has two kids. Uh, She's a Christian woman, goes to a church in Palo Alto and serves, but she's working 60 to 80 hour weeks. She's been doing this for about eight hours and it's been lucrative. And the people, it, it earned her a spot on the board for the University of Stanford, for the whole university. It's been lucrative, it's been wonderful but she's tired, and she's sick, and she doesn't know if she can keep this up. But listen now, listen. When you go and get your MBA at some of these schools, this is a no-brainer. This is a corporate no-brainer. You're gonna take that job. You're a high-powered, high-flying, Stanford, uh, MBA, uh, serious female executive. But she's distressed and so what she says is something's not right. I need to take a minute and think about this. So she does. She takes a minute, she thinks about it and she does the, un- she does the unbelievable for an MBA. Unbelievable, she quits. And she says this. She says, I thought about it. I had to think about who I was going to Worship. I had to think about what was important. I had to define success. Is success a bigger title and more power and a bigger house and more money, right? Is that what success is or is success health and family and ability to serve God? And she quit. A year later, she and her husband start a venture capital firm in, in Palo Alto that's still operating. Here's the question. Where are you going to turn in your distress? It's really easy when given a great opportunity like Saul and like Mirren to become self-reliant, to let the God be yourself, to let your God become power and fame and position. Very easy temptation. All of us have felt it in one degree or another, but who you turn to in that distress determines who your god is. Second scene, Samuel comes to him and says, listen, I want you to remember something. Chapter 15, top of the chapter, listen, three verses. He says, remember you were a nobody and God took you from being a nobody from the smallest tribe and in an insignificant family and god made you king you were so astounded that when we came to anoint you you went hidden hiding in, in, around the wheat bed i mean you were hiding you're a nobody and god has made you something and he's brought a great deliverance in in, in israel through a nobody now The Amalekites attacked your people when they came out of Egypt into Canaan for no good reason. And they've been wicked for 300 years. The Lord has given you a command. Wipe out the Amalekites and everything. Their sheep and cattle. Wipe them out and their king. Go on this mission for the Lord. Execute the Lord's judgment. And what does he do in his second episode, page 400? in 401. Let's take a look at what Saul does in the second episode. He does this, verse seven, Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, oh God, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I I regret, God says to Samuel, that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me now the second time and has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry because the people had come to him. And the people had said that we know we want a king that would lead us and go before us and fight our battles like all the other nations. And here he is. And the king has abandoned the Lord. And he can see behind him the devastation. Because this particular sin from the leader wasn't just going to impact him. It was going to lead all the other people into rebellion and death. And so he's angry, the verse says. Saul was Samuel was angry, verse 11. And he cried out to the Lord all night. He prayed, God, help us. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Samuel has gone to Carmel. Why did he go to Carmel? And now we begin to see his breaking bad. He went to Carmel to set up a monument to himself because of the victory that he accomplished. Are you kidding me? And back on the west side, we say, You was a scrub. You a scrub. You a nobody and God has lifted you up, and here you are, now you're gonna build a monument? Come on, give me some Abraham. Why don't you build, why don't you build a monument for, for God? Be, be a Samuel. Why don't, you, why don't you set up a stone of remembrance because of the deliverance that God has given you? Come on, man, here you are. One little couple of victories. And now you wanna be the man. Breaking bad, he's Heisenberg. set up a monument in his own honor. And then he turned and went down to Gilgal. So Samuel reached him. Saul said, Saul said, Lord, bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered. In other words, didn't I give you clear, crystal clear instruction to wipe it all out? that God would take care of you, but there was, he wanted it to send a sign of wrath for wickedness and idolatry, not only to the Amalekites, but also to the nations around them. Saul said, the soldiers brought them back, brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel, said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, once you were a scrub, did you become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy the wicked people. It was the Lord that gave him power to wipe out the Malachites. Without the, the Lord's instruction, he would have been dead in his tracks. To destroy the wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you had wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. But I did do, obey the Lord. Here's the excuses, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. Why did you bring back Agag their king? Did you need a serf? Did you need a puppet? Did you need a trophy so that you could say how great you are? Why would you bring back this king? He was the leader of the wicked crew. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But Samuel said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? And I think this is the heart of what I want to say today. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, And to heed is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of divination that we'll see in the last episode that he actually commits. And arrogance is the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. When we reject God's word, we reject God himself. When we reject God's word, we reject God himself. Doesn't matter if we come up in here every Sunday and worship and volunteer and then go out into our neighborhoods and places and do what we want to do when we want to do it when we reject god's word we reject god himself we become idolaters typically serving ourselves and serving our fleshly cravings then saul said to samuel i have sinned yeah i violated the lord's command and your instructions yeah but here's why but here's why I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. The men had deserted him before, and he wanted to make sure that they wouldn't desert him the next time. He thought the men were keeping him as king, but it was God all along that was keeping him as king. If you're in a difficult situation at the workplace, it seems like everybody is against you, and I have been there a couple different times. You need to remember before you run and become self-reliant and do wickedness, you need to remember it's the Lord that is keeping you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? And that is what Saul never quite appropriated. Even though he was given this abundant grace to be king, he never appropriated that God would give him the grace to stay king. I was afraid of the man. He bowed the knee to the men and gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I might worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. To obey God is the best worship we can offer God and to disobey God is to serve an idol. And I got some stuff I need to read you because I really think it's really important. In obeying God, we say without words, without words, God, your wisdom is greater than my own. We humble in our thoughts, in our minds, and we recognize the creator of the world is supreme in his direction and counsel over us. When we obey, we worship. When we obey, we worship we say, God, your wisdom is greater than ours. But in disobedience, we're also worshiping and we're also speaking. We say, my wisdom is greater than God's. True, we do not worship Baal and asterisk, but neither did Saul. But we are still worshiping a false god when we are worshiping ourselves and becoming self-reliant and simply disobeying The word that is intended for our blessing, for our strength, for our good, for the good of our community, when we disregard the King's word through disobedience, we are worshiping another God. And I, like David Foster Wallace, no uh, Christian theologian, but uh, an English professor at Pomona College, now dead, late David Foster Wallace, a novelist and English professor, says this at a commencement address at Kenyon College. He says this, 2005, here is something that is weird but true, he says to the graduates. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what, we, is what to worship. And what I want to say to you is that Saul, in these two episodes, at Gilgal and in Amalek, I'm telling you that Saul was worshiping. And I'm telling you, when you go to school tomorrow and to work, when you go about your day-to-day ordinary things, I'm telling you, you were worshiping. And my question is, who are you worshiping? Is this God for God and God-honoring? Are you going to live out substance over these seven weeks and grow in godliness? Or are you going to drift and continue to be brittle in your faith and near ineffective in your fruitfulness? Which is, who is what God are you serving? He's worshiping. Whoever we turn to, in our God, Is our God now? We're in the third episode. The first time, he, he 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 says he 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 relies on himself and he loses his dynasty. The second time, he he bends the knee to the men, right? He thinks that they can keep him in power, right? And now he loses the kingdom. It's ripped away. The spirit of God is taken away from him. It says in 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 verse 16, in chapter 16, verse 13 or 14, it says the spirit has been removed and it has been given to David. And so now he's got his third scene. And what is Heisenberg going to do? Well, Heisenberg's going to do what Heisenberg's going to do. Verse 3, now Samuel was dead, and all Israel mourned for him, page 420 and 421. And they buried him in his town of Ramah. Samuel expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. The mediums were those who would, on behalf of the living, they would consort the dead. The spiritists were those who consulted false spirits. These were the religious practices of the Canaanites and the people around them. And why would anybody who had the living God as their Lord and King, why would anybody who had been given a, a land without fighting, why would anybody who could who win battles without even fighting themselves without even fighting themselves. They could win battles because God did the fighting. Why would anybody need to consort a medium or a spiritist? This would be the height of idolatry. Why would anybody need to do that? Saul knew this, he knew the, the word. He knew Leviticus 20 and 27, that in Israel those people should be put to death if they were Israelites, he knew the word. But now he has made himself an enemy of God. And his sole God now is to retain power in Israel. Several times he, he chooses to, to attempt to kill David. He even, come on tries to kill his own son by pinning him to the wall with a sword. He kills the priests of God, the high priest, and several other priests, and all in the name of power and title, he will be king. And, and if on my, dead, on my dead body will I give up the kingdom? That's basically his posture now. And he consults back to our text He's afraid. The Philistines present themselves before him. And he goes looking for a median or a spiritist. Now, just, just a quick word on sorcery and so forth. The Bible doesn't forbid it because it doesn't work. The Bible forgive, forbids it because why would a person who belongs to God the Father, why would a person who belongs to Jesus Christ the Son, why would a person who has the Holy Spirit in them need any other spiritual counsel? So it's not that this kind of stuff doesn't have some effect in terms of reaching different spirits and demonic spirits. It's not that it doesn't have an effect, it's just that it's evil. And that it's the height of immorality. It's the height of idolatry. And that's what this man, who has made himself now an enemy of God, resorts to. And lo and behold, they find a medium. And lo and behold, they call up Samuel. And Samuel says, why are you calling me? Why are you calling me? Because God had already given Samuel a word. The word was, I've stripped the kingdom from you. And he even knew what the word was. He even knew. He says on one failed attempt of killing David, he says this to David. He says, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. I'm not going to hand it over to Jonathan, but you're going to hand it over to Solomon and your sons. And In fact, you're going to hand it over to the king of kings and the lord of lords. He says, you will surely be established. He knows, but he clings. And why is you praying? Why are you on your knees and prostrate before God if you know what is true? If I know that I need to go and ask someone for forgiveness, if I know that I need to work hard on my job, then stop praying about things that God has clearly given us an answer for. And so God isn't talking to him. You know what he's saying? Do what I told you. Hand over the kingdom to David. Do what I told you. He doesn't hear him. So that's what Saul says. And this time when Samuel comes up, he asks one further. He said, I told you the kingdom was stripped for you. Now, tomorrow, you're going to be dead on Mount Gabor. Not only you, but your sons and the rest of the army who fights with you. You'll be dead. So, This this parallel passage tells us what the problem is. What was the problem with Saul? What is the problem that we need to watch out for? So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, which is the primary way to worship. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance, the height of idolatry. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David. Mercy be on a fellowship of Christians whose leaders do not pray. Mercy be on you in your ministry if you are leading people and don't have a faithful ministry of prayer to God to seek his guidance and for God to change your character and form him, himself more like you through prayer and guidance. Shame on us when we try to serve God in our own power. When we worship ourselves, that's why he set aside. Now, how do we stay out of this mess? I wanna to suggest to you two things that you can do in Christ to stay out of the sin of Saul, to not make a God of yourself in the face of difficulty and distress. Build your faith in the goodness of God. Remember, first and foremost, the grace of God that has been accomplished for you in the cross, that that you, in your distress, because Christ was abandoned, you will never be abandoned that you now, if you've repented of your sins and confessed Christ as Lord, have the Spirit of God. You have a newness of life in you. And you have provision, spiritual, the fullness of provision spiritually and materially to accomplish all that you have. You have access to the full riches of Christ. And we need to remember the goodness of God day after day. We need to practice what good things God has done among us. The simple things as well as the great things, right? So yesterday I had an opportunity. One of our ushers is about to move to Appleton. She's been serving here for years. She's going to move in with her daughter. And a, a group of about 30 people came to tell her how much they enjoyed. And some of you know her and are smiling to tell her, what she has meant to them and I had a chance to come and share how she has ministered to me and ministered to the church and I need to remember the goodness of of, of God, the preciousness of the simple things and the preciousness of the great things that God is doing. I need to remember them on a daily basis. Remember the goodness of God that starts on the cross, that continues in his fellowship with us. And then I need to remain, I need to maintain an undivided heart. I need to think about, you need to think about the things that give you the most stress. And you need to recognize that power and money and position and the things that entice us sensually are not the most important things, but that the most important thing Is our fellowship with our God who promises to never leave us nor forsake us, who promises to meet all of our needs, and if you try him, he delivers on a regular and routine basis. He delights to deliver. He delights in answering the prayers of his people. He delights in the fact that you are his child. He, he'll never abandon his child in their distress or difficult situation. He'll always provide for you, no matter what your circumstance. When I was at American Family, God provided, and I'm at the church, God provided. And I was like, God, You doing some miracles? And God providing." And wherever God takes me next, He's going to be there with me and I'm going to have blessed life here and when he returns. That's the most important things. And so we have to pull out the weeds of the worries about worldly things and we've gotta pull out the desires for power and fame and, and other sensual things and we need to pull those aside and we need to focus ourselves on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Focus ourselves on the one who loves us eternally. Remember the goodness of God if we want to stay out of Saul's condition and maintain an undivided heart. Man, we got to learn how to love Jesus. But David, he turns to the Lord. I just got one verse to describe this. So David has been running away from Saul. Saul's been trying to kill him and he finds himself in Philistine territory. He says, if I go into the Philistine territory, Saul will stop trying to kill me. I'm tired of running from this guy. I I, I pledged my allegiance to him a million times, and he still comes after me. He says he's gonna stop, and he still comes after me. And so I gotta go over to Philistine territory to get away from this guy. And while he's in Philistine territory, and while he and his men, his soldiers, are away, Um, uh, A nation comes, I think it's the Amalekites, they sneak in and they take all their people and their wives, verse six of chapter 30. Now David was greatly distressed. Where do you go in your distress? Now David was greatly distressed because the men were were talking of stoning him. They were so distraught over losing their wives and children, they were going to kill him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord and he calls the priests and prayers go forward and God gives him specific instructions on how he's going to recover all of his family. Not only did he recover all the, his family, he took the goods of the other folks and, and God didn't, ha- didn't have him wipe out the goods of the other folks. They were able to keep it. But then there is a greater than David who shows us that who we worship is determined by who we turn to in our distress. There is the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And unlike Saul, in his distress, abandoned because of his own sins, this son of David... This Jesus is abandoned because of my sins and yours. He's abandoned because of my sins and your sins. And what does he do? He feels the abandonment. And while he's on the cross... I think the story has six hours or so. In his agony, suffocating to death, right? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was actually forsaken for a season. And the wrath of God is poured out on the son of David so that the grace of God can be poured out on you. So that in your distress, you don't have to worry about being abandoned like Saul if you've given your life to Christ through repentance and faith and received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to worry about this abandonment that the Savior experienced because he took it in your place. And that's good news. That's the gospel. That we have a God who loves you so much and will be with you for eternity. And I love the way Jesus talks to Mary and Martha when he talks about the benefit of coming to him in faith. He says to Mary and Martha when they are coming to him in their distress because their brother has died, he says to Mary and Martha, listen, even though your brother has died, he shall live. And and Martha says to him, I know that he'll live again in the resurrection and the life. But he said, don't you know that I am the resurrection and the life? And so if you believe, you shall never die. And if you die, you shall live. I'm trying to say that God will never abandon you in your circumstances or situations. That he is always our deliverer. In him, we always have resurrection and life. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God was poured on him so that resurrection and life can be poured on you. And he says, even in his utter agony, he says this, he turns to God in his distress. The son turns to the father. He says, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And so through the son of David, we learn that we can hold on to the end and experience the fullness of life because we have it in Christ. And this is an invitation to those of you who haven't experienced this, who have not made a confession of faith in Christ. That's available for you today. He's, He's already died and risen for your life. Let us pray. Now, knowing that from the example of Saul and from the example of David and from the example of the Messiah, the son of David, the one who is both God and man, Jesus Christ, we learn that who we turn to in our distress is our God. And may we, Father, recognizing this Place our faith in Jesus, who loves us, who was, who received the wrath so that we could receive the fellowship and the blessing and the grace. May we uh, turn our hearts towards him, both in our comfort and in our distress, recognizing that you are God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.